Well, welcome back to Preacher Lab. I know it's been a while since we've had a conversation with a preacher. It's been a long time since I've sat down and talked with somebody about what they're preaching on next week, why they chose that text, how that connects to their series, and anything they want to share about how they preach, how they prepare, how they rehearse, etc. But for the last four months, it's been a lot of chaos for me. I was appointed to a new church in July, so I grieved the loss and still grieve the loss of leaving a space that I served for seven years. But also starting at a new church has a lot of fun about it, has a lot of different things you do, getting to know the people, starting in worship, um, meeting people in their homes and for coffee and all over the place. There's been a lot going on. So the last four months, I've kind of taken a break from Preacher Lab. But now that I'm feeling a little more settled, a little more ready, I said, I need to pick up Preacher Lab again because these conversations have taught me so much about how I preach and how I lead and and how I might have different people share with me their opinions of a sermon. It's just been so life-giving for me. So we're going to start a new season next week season two, and we'll talk to about 10 different preachers about what they're preaching on. But this series, this episode, this this one, is a recap from season one. Now, season one, we talked to about 20 different preachers, and all of them had gold and nuggets within the things they had shared about preaching. But I found some of my favorite clips, favorite portions of three or four minutes of of different ones, and I wanted to share them with you in case you didn't listen to all of them from season one. So I hope you enjoy this season one recap of Preacher Lab. This is Scott Smith from First United Methodist Church of Ormond Beach. Again, the tangents, I don't chase a random tangent. It doesn't have anything what we're doing. It, 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 it's a tangent. I'm like, ooh, that was. And I'm really good. I mean, I'm an extreme extrovert. So I'm not the pastor that's in my room before the service. I'm out chit-chatting with everybody. <laughs> and if somebody says something to me, on like, like um, we did a remember your baptism last week as part of the Citizens of Heaven thing I was talking about. And one of, one of our church members walking in and goes, she's remember my baptism. You know how old I was when I got back? You know how old I am? I, I can't remember. I can't remember. And, I, and I, so I said, you know, some of y'all, I'm not saying any names, Ann Smith, but some of y'all told me you can't remember your baptism because it's so long ago. That's the problem. We forget we're baptized. We forget, you know, so I, I'm good in those kind of moments. Stuff. Yeah. And, but it seems like that's, that's authentically you. So you, yeah. you can't preach like Phil Routon. You have to oh, preach like well, Scott that, Smith. That, I know the question is coming up later. I'll just jump to it. You, you said uh, one of the things you sent me to think about was what do you want other preachers to know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I would yeah. say the two things I would say because you said one, but I'm I'm taking attention. I'm gonna do two. Uh, <laughs> one is just that be you, be authentically you. Uh, you know, if you have if if you stand up in front of a group of people on a Sunday and have the audacity to believe that God has spoken to you to proclaim the word then be you. Don't try to be some other preacher. Uh, that's when you get into trouble. When you try to emulate whoever you think's a great preacher, you're not authentic. You're not true to who 
you are. Uh, and so be you. And that, you know, there, there are some moments, uh, somebody's like, oh, I want to preach like you. I'm like, you can't. You, you got you, you to preach like you got to preach like you. I mean, you know, and um, I, I was, uh, you know, in the Methodist world, there was a little social media blow up a few weeks ago with Michael Beck, uh, his friend of mine. And he posted his this is how I do on his plane. And everybody kind of jumped on that. There's some people I'm like, I, I don't get into social media wars. Uh, it's just ridiculous. But I wanted I wanted to say, y'all lighten up. It may work for him. It doesn't work for you. Fine. What works for me? doesn't work. Just God called us. If God called you, be you. Uh, so I'd say that that's my piece of advice. Yeah. I also say, since we're talking about it, another piece of advice for preachers, be in the moment. Don't be so tied to, I've got to do it this way. Um, you know, I was thinking of some of the more powerful moments of ministry and preaching have been where something happened in the service and I just responded to it in the moment. Um, and so, and, and I, I don't know if I just have a unique ability of doing that, but I, I just want to encourage people. Like I always think there's a great moment at camp. I was preaching at Warren Willis camp and I had this whole imagery of a, a mirror and I was throwing rocks at it because you, how we view ourselves, talking to kids, God sees you as a masterpiece. You were fearfully and wonderfully made that, that we view ourselves through the lens of other people and how, you know, you're fat, you're ugly, you're whatever, talking to teenagers. And I was throwing the rocks and I was shattering it. But we had scored the back of it so it wasn't falling apart. It was just making, you know, funky. And the plan was I was going to tell them, this is not who you are. I was going to throw it behind me and grab one that was complete and whole. It's like a four-foot by two-foot mirror. Yeah. And I was going to throw it behind me and grab the new one and go, this is you. This is how God sees you. See you as God's masterpiece. But when I threw it behind me, the entire group at camp went, <gasps> I went, oh, good Lord. I killed somebody. There's a band member behind me. What did I do? You know? <laughs> and I turn around. And I just thrown it on the ground behind me, but the lights from the for the band had hit it, and it made this gorgeous mosaic on the screens and on the mirrors and, and everything. I mean, it was it was multiple colored. It was this beautiful, phenomenal mosaic. And I turned around and went, "Yeah, I'm done." Yeah. When the you're God's masterpiece, when you let the light of Christ shine in you, oh gosh, you are beautiful. Uh, you need to let God's light in you. You'll see the light of Christ. You're a new creation. Yeah. What you think you are, look what God could do. And I went, I'm done. Let's pray. Y'all yeah. come yeah. forward and pray. Yeah. We're done. Just yeah. This is Rob Tucker from Watkins United Methodist Church. I remember I went to, to Nashville to see Aziz Ansari um, before one of his Netflix specials. And it was really cool. I, I was in this small comedy club and you had to put your phone in a Ziploc baggie um, because you couldn't film it because he was trying out his jokes on stage. He was trying out a special before it was recorded. It was one of my... Uh, most favorite experiences in my life because you got to see him with a notebook and paper on a stool try out his special and you could see him physically go back and say yeah that one didn't work and he'll start editing right there in front of you and some people i'm sure thought that was annoying like come on man like we're not here to be a test trial i loved it because yeah. like this is this is what preachers do or should do right mm -hmm. when we try it out i preach my sermon six to eight times on between saturday night and sunday morning before it's preached out loud to a congregation right so i'm preaching it out loud you know at least six to eight times and then those kind of to, to your to yourself to molly to cooper <laughs> yeah cooper doesn't want to hear this um <laughs> typically to myself um sometimes i'll record it 
I'm just a, just an audio and listen back to it again. Hey, it doesn't yeah. make sense. Does it flow well? Um, on a Sunday morning, it's typically inside of the church itself. And I've done this since the beginning, like in, in the pulpit or on the stage or whatever, wherever you're preaching at, you know, kind of preach out loud in that space because there's something powerful about being in there. And it helps, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a walking preacher as well. I don't like standing behind the podium or pulpit or music stand. I like to walk a little bit and and I block those like it's in theater too. You know, yeah. times to walk left, times to walk right because you walk too much, it's too distracting. But if you walk when you need to, you know, you're blocking like you're on a play, will help people enter into it as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not a distraction, but it's an invitation. Um, anyways, seeing Aziz Ansari write this out, edit it out loud, um, was such a cool experience because then you could see the Netflix special and see, you know, here's here's what he took out and here's, you know, what he thought went well. And here's, you know, where we laughed. Here's where you, we didn't follow along. We got, you know, we jumped off the wagon or got flipped off the wagon and, you know, he had to get us back on. You know, you could kind of see him working that out loud. Um, one, one September... My goal was to to watch or listen to a a stand up comedian every day. That was kind of my homework. I don't know if you remember this. So, but I would watch or listen to one every day, and I collected. I put put on social media. Hey, what's your favorite comedian of all time? And people put all these different names in in kind of the basket. And and some of them I knew, some of them I didn't know. And every day I listened or watched to a new comedian as part of my homework, and it was awesome. Yeah, um, because I just was. Both, I got to learn about so many different new comedians, stand-up comics. Um, but also, I, I, I got to, I think they're onto an art form that we can learn from. Yeah. I think that they're onto an art form that we can learn from. Um, and, God, talk about joy. I mean, it was a blast. Um, but yeah. but they have a way with words that's planned, um, that's that's meaningful, that invites you into the moment. And they're they're speaking for an hour plus. Right. Yeah. We get 15 to 30 minutes, you know, wherever you find yourself in which context, but, um, and you are in for an yeah. hour. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. You're not thinking about where you're going afterwards. You're not thinking about, you know, weekend plans. You're in there in the moment. They gotcha. You know, there's, there's some, there's some kind of art form to that. This is McGray de Vega from Hyde Park United Methodist Church. All right. So going a little deeper um, into to your process and your writing, um, what is that the week of when you're about to, mm-hmm. when you're preaching? Um, do you write everything out? Do you memorize it? Um, what does that process look like? And then then the actual performative piece of it. Well, the first thing I do is take a breath and say a prayer, um, like many of us presumably do. And um, really, for the last few months, ever since I discovered this story, this really has helped me. Um, you know, it's a wrestling match every week. It is to, to, to write this sermon is a strain. It's a struggle. I, I liken it to Jacob wrestling with the angel. And at the end of the day, it is the greatest relief and the greatest satisfaction that I have during the week to know that God did it again, you know, and that I didn't. I didn't have what it took uh, to write this thing, and so God has come through again. So the story that I heard uh, several months ago is about um, Bach, Johann Sebastian Bach. The great composer would always finish every one of his compositions, his musical masterpieces, by writing at the bottom of the last 
page of music, the letters SDG, Soli Deo Gloria, to God be the glory. And I'd like to imagine, you know, I'm certainly not at the level of Bach, but I like to imagine that when Bach finished every composition, he just, it was like putting a last period at the end of a sermon manuscript, this great relief, this great celebration, this great joy. And I always, uh, I always appreciate that feeling. What I didn't know is that whenever Bach was writing a composition and he would begin a new page of blank musical staff paper, the first thing he would write at the top left-hand corner of that blank page is JJ, Yesu Yuvo, which means Jesus help me. Um, because he recognized that in order to get to SDG, he couldn't do it himself and he would need only the, the work of Jesus, the work of the Holy Spirit. So. You ask me my process, I mean, literally the first thing I do when I stare at my Microsoft Word document is I click header and footer, and I type JJ into the header so that it shows up at the top of every blank page of my manuscript. Now, I eventually, when I type SDG at the end, I'll erase JJ, and when I send it off to the team, I mean, they don't see this, but it's a it's a visual reminder to me that I can't do this. And to just claim the hope that when the wrestling with the angel is over, there will be great relief. And, and it is always, without fail, the most, the most joyful relief of every given week. I mean, once I type that final period by Wednesday at noon, my outlook on, on the work just brightens. It's that kind of vivid thing. So, so there are other, there are other uh, typical things that I follow. I go out to breakfast with my computer at, you know, seven or seven 30 in the morning on Wednesdays. I will write until uh, I feel like I found that hook, then I'll go home. And, and I will tell you what, I learned this from Jim Harnish. Sometimes with all of the stuff that I've crammed in my head, usually by Wednesday morning at 9 or 9.30, the best thing I can do is go into my room and just close my eyes and take advantage of what science knows as the strength of the REM sleep cycle <laughs> to stop using my prefrontal cortex for a little while, which is where I've been cramming all this stuff, and let my amygdala and all the subconscious stuff, try to work on all that front stuff. And sometimes it's literally just a 15-minute nap. I rarely go longer than that. That I will wake up and I will have that, I'll have that hook in a very clear way. I'm a little sheepish to admit that I take naps when I'm sermon writing. But over time, I've discovered sometimes that's what I need and that really works. Yeah. And then I usually... Usually I've found my flow at that point. My body is rested. My mind is more alert. I'll sit in my comfortable chair. It's a recliner that I use at a particular angle. I will ask Siri to play a particular kind of music that sets whatever kind of mood that I'm looking for in the sermon manuscript itself. And sometime between 10 and 12 on Wednesday morning that, that I get to SDG. Um, so that's, that's about as specific as it gets for me. It's nothing magical, um, but it's just a routine that, uh, it's a routine conversation I have with God every Wednesday morning. So. This is Megan Killingsworth from First United Methodist Church, Sanford. I love hearing from 
the community. Um, I am so aware that I can only see out of my own eyes. And often folks have incredible perspectives that I do not have. And so, um, especially with something like this, I don't do all sermons this way, but especially with um, sermons that maybe are on something that lots of people have thought about um, and it could feel kind of rote, like we love the sacraments, God shows up. And that's cool. I mean, of course it's cool, but in my congregation, there's a chef. He's actually one of the co-founders of um, the Picnic Project, a ministry that's on our campus that's part of our cooperative space. And this dude has worked in the food industry for a really long time, aside from making some of the most delicious food I've ever had in my life. And I have food allergies out the wazoo, and he still finds a way to make incredible food. Um, his name's Mark. Anyway, Mark is... Shout out Mark, by the way. Yes, Mark Thompson. So legit. Um, he is... He's like lived his life working in kitchens. And kitchens, when you think about a restaurant kitchen, I'm sure if you don't know anyone who's ever worked in them, you think they're like these fancy, beautiful places. But my understanding of restaurant kitchens so far um, is um, the music is loud uh, the language is nuts and the floors are sticky. And so like how real life is that, you know? And so Mark makes food and has worked in kitchens his whole life. And now is this, he now works for the picnic project, but Mark is deeply theological about food. So he spends his life like in this world where he is, you know, waist deep in cutting carrots and in, um, connecting that with his own personal faith. So this week, uh, my resident expert or my like consultant, I think people in our community are consultants in how they see the world and um, in things they've spent a lot of time thinking about. I want to hear from that. So this week, Mark was my consultant. So I called him and I said, I'm going to word vomit some stuff at you and read you some scripture and you tell me what you think. And so Mark has helped me. He's given me some resources. Um, and that's one of the things I do uh, pretty regularly is if there's somebody in my world or particularly in our church or community who I think might have something powerful to say, I'll just tell them, this is what I'm preaching on. Just give me your reactions. Tell me how that feels. Tell me what, you know, what that means to you. And so Mark was my expert this week. He gave me some great resources and some images and a podcast um, and just kind of told me what was compelling in his world. This is Matt Miofsky from The Gathering in St. Louis, Missouri. So let me, if we think, if I think about preaching for you and kind of working on these series, um, what does that process look like of looking at January or February or March? What does that look like for you? Yeah. Well, uh to kind of go through it really quickly, you know, I'm, I'm at a church where I'm, I'm lucky enough to have other pastors on our staff. We have three physical sites and an online site. So we have site pastors over all of those. So twice a year, I have a whole day dedicated to uh, sort of looking ahead and trying to figure out where do we want to go with the preaching in the preaching life of the church. 
And usually we're working out, like right now I have our series planned out roughly through the summer and we need to do next fall and the beginning of next year. And so pretty quickly here in the next month, we'll have one of these days away to work on the end of 2022, beginning of 2023. So first of all, we're working out pretty far ahead and we come into that day, that brainstorming day kind of with a lot of information, sort of what have we been preaching about the last few years? What's missing? Where do we think God is challenging us or calling us to, what's God calling us to talk about? What's bubbling up from people? What are people dealing with? What are we hearing in small groups? What what, what do we think is relevant to sort of the world right now? Um, And then we sort of balance different kinds of series. You know, are we going to tackle a book of the Bible? Maybe this is a theological idea. Maybe this is a, you know, something that has more to do with practice or how we live as Christians. And we kind of throw all that out there. And then what I, what I say is I invite the pastors and I say, each of you come prepared to sort of pitch two series ideas that you think are really important for our congregation right now. And so it's sort of like a shark tank for sermon series. I mean, we sit there and somebody pitches two series, tells us like, why is this important? Why would people care? How is it biblical? And then like, what would we talk about? And they do this and we just sort of ask questions, kind of poke around at it. And by the end of that process, we'll have 10, 12 ideas out on the table. And and usually things start emerging. Like, man, there's a lot of energy around this and this and this. And and then I'll take that after that day and I'll sort of work with it. Sometimes there's holes or things that we're missing or, you know, we've done three New Testament things. We need to get into the Old Testament. And I try to balance it out. And then I start working up, like, what would this look like? What would a synopsis look like? Why would it matter to the hearer? What's an outline? What would an outline look like for this series? What would we talk about? And and the closer we get to the beginning of a series, the more fleshed out that is. So that before we launch a series, we would have that kind of stuff. We have a creative process. So at some point, a couple months out, creative team will want to know, like, tell me what what this is so we can figure out a good name for it and maybe an image or a, a promotion video or something like that. So we, but regardless, even if you don't do all those things, I think for me, the advantage is working out ahead. This is Bishop Ken Carter from the Florida Conference and from the Western North Carolina Conference. You know, I I would say it was developmental for me and I served, you know, a very uh, rural four church charge for a few years where really the, the, a lot of the work was about relationships and a lot of pastoral visitation. And the sermon was also the thing I worked on at the end of the week. And in those churches, these were kind of family churches. They were going to be there because this was where the family gathered. And this was this was this was where life was kind of organized. When I got to a couple of really large churches, uh, one in Winston Salem, North Carolina, one in Charlotte, uh, especially the Charlotte Church, uh, these were churches where people came from a broad region. Uh, they often passed, you know, twenty or thirty other churches to get there. 
they many of them could have been in many places you know they lived in a couple of different places and and so i realized the sermon really had to be the first thing i worked on that week and it could not come at the end uh and so i began to invest more time working on sermons early in the week and then the end of the week working on more editing sermons working on the delivery of sermons, uh, et cetera. So, but I, I think for especially churches that are medium sized and larger, it's crucial because it's really the way you have a pastoral relationship with people is through the sermon. This is Adam Musto from First United Methodist Church of Kearney. I read a book in seminary by Tom Long, The Witness of Preaching. One of the things I remember from there is that a sermon should be helpful. And so my aim is to make it helpful to folks who might feel estranged from God, or maybe if they personally are, you know, would give themselves a high grade in terms of their lives right now. I mean, I think there's no shortage of things in the world you could look at and say, you know, God, why are you so far from us? Why have you forsaken us? And to remind them of good news kind of in the midst of that. So that to me is the, the application piece, the practical piece of it. But within the larger plan of the whole year, I like to do some doctrinal stuff. Uh, I hope it doesn't um, devolve into navel gazing, but I think it's important that we have a, kind of a buffet of things, if you will. And so I try to do some series that are doctrinal in nature and some theology around crucifixion is, uh, is, is I think something that, ironically, other than Good Friday, isn't always, isn't always preached. Huh, huh. Okay, so what you, just to back out, back out a little bit further. Um, so you do doctrinal things and you try to, do you have like a season, like your buffet? Do you have like, this is my appetizer, or this is my dessert? Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, he's trying to mix it up. So try to lay out series in advance. I tend to think in semesters. So if I have a heavy doctrine series, I probably won't do one more than one between um, what, like January and May or June or so. And that would go for all of them. Um, hopefully have some culturally timely, timely things. We just did some stuff. We did a three week series about cancel culture, try to have spiritual disciplines in there, a mix of old and new Testament. Um, hopefully some fun every once in a while. Not everyone has some fun. So like for father's day, I'm going to do a barbecue Proverbs Sunday. <laughs> My wife, my wife convinced me to make that from like three or four weeks down to one. So some compromise there. Um, and then just a mix, right? We, all, we always do Advent. You know, you're going to do generosity. You know, you're going to do Lent. So Advent two years ago, we did a series called Christmas in Real Life. And we used um, St. Athanasius uh, on the incarnation, yeah. right? So that was, you know, that was some big boy, big girl yeah. stuff. Yeah. And so last year we did Christmas movies. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Yeah, I try and change. I was doing Home Alone on Christmas Eve. So. It's that the buffet to me is um, uh, in the language of Golden Corral. It's the ever-changing menu that I think keeps it exciting. <laughs> okay. This is leadership coach and consultant Olu Brown. I've never heard anybody do kind of the thing you do on Sunday um, of yeah. kind of walking through. Like I, yes. I know the musicians need to walk through, but yes. I've never thought about it as like a, a mic check for everyone. Like, what does that, what does that look like? What does that physically look like? Are are you on stage when you're like preaching and you have your three minute kind of notes or? Yeah, we're doing it real time walkthrough. And once again, if 
you're watching or rather listening and you have one worship experience, practicing it before is vital. And it may only be you, you're a team of one, but stand there in the pulpit or whatever it's called for your context and review um, as much as you can. So our graphics team is uh, back with the sound uh, and um, other folks are, you know, just kind of standing around music people. And, and so in that moment, we review it and practice it and anyone can critique. So a couple of weekends ago, um, a person from our worship team was sitting and, you know, it can be an English teacher, any number of, you know, professions that people bring in these volunteer spaces in particular. <clears throat> and she saw one of our slides and she said that word needs to be corrected. And she was right. So we missed it. And that's the other part of practicing is you can be in your own world to where there are things that you don't necessarily see <clears throat> that need to be adjusted by people who just step in fresh. And so um, after we review it, then there are sometimes we're a little bit late or later getting start and there are people starting to come in. So they kind of get a double <laughs> sermon. Yeah. But it's a part of the culture. Now, now another thing we do, which is about preaching, but it's about the whole of the experience is we're big on words and language that represent our values and our culture as a church. So we would review from time to time what's hot and what's not. Uh, and this is important for people who are, on the pulpit or on the stage and they're communicating uh, online or in person. So for instance, we don't call it a worship service. We call it a worship experience. Um, <clears throat> we may use more words uh, around generosity than stewardship. And those are things that we try to rehearse, not as often, but rehearse from time to time because in particular the music team, people don't realize they really uh, have an opportunity uh, in particular, if you have like a praise and worship style, as opposed to a choir, but even with choirs, they really share a lot of language and a lot of information with the congregation and just making sure there's not a miscommunication. So if I'm hanging with you for an entire worship experience, that the music team communicate one thing, the liturgist communicated another thing, and the sermon communicated another thing. And so I'm leaving saying, okay, I heard three different things. Which one do you want me to follow? And last, but certainly not least, we have Bishop Will Willimon. Dean Greg Jones said after a sermon I preached at a Methodist conference, he said, they were laughing at you. I mean, they were laughing with you. They loved it. They would crucify me for that. <laughs> um, I, I think God maybe has given me a gift of humor, which my wife doesn't like people encouraging in me. Um, and, and so humor can be a, a great way of diffusing and all. I think humor is, a, me, a, theologically, it's a great way of kind of seeing ourselves as God sees us sometimes. I hope it's called mercy. Um, I also say to pastors, in the present moment, pastors have said things like, uh, my church is just split right down the middle, red and blue. They, I, there's a list they, they've got. They could the list and I know what's on it of words I can't use. I referred to January 6th insurrection. Two people left my church over use calling that an insurrection. And and I, and it, yeah, yeah. I know there's that difficulty. On the other hand, I, I want pastors to also be sensitive to all those people 
who are either sitting out there in the pew or who have left out of boredom or because nothing new is ever said or nothing that you got to get dressed and come down here at an inconvenient time of the week to hear. Uh, how about those people? Yeah. So I guess being in ministry as long as I have, there's been those moments when I saw myself as stepping out and venturing to say something that I didn't think people wanted to hear. And um, only to have a layperson say to me, thank God you said it. Yeah. I've been waiting for some instruction on that.